0: Be the right club. Be the right club today.
1: Johnny, yes. well, I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!
0: Expect anything different? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. We have an interview coming here shortly with Justin Suh. I don't want to brag, but I think I am the first person to ever interview him, at least since he's turned professional, and not mention any one of the three of Colin Morikawa... Matthew Wolfe, or Victor Hovland. I, I, I'm i not going to say it was a conscious thing, but it was definitely a conscious thing. Uh, Talked to him a lot about just the beginning of his pro career, battling some injuries, chasing Monday qualifiers. There's a lot in this. You know, I think all, all heads kind of turned towards the other other three guys in that 2019 class. But, um, you know, Justin's route towards the PGA Tour has been, he's encountered a few roadblocks. He's been playing some really good golf and has a great future ahead of him. And there's a great story about what he did uh, with this paycheck from the Farmers Insurance Open. So, uh, also, if you listen to the Sunday Pebble Wrap-Up Pod, you probably heard us mention Akshay Batia and the new putter he has in the bag. Same one that John Brom has been playing since he switched into an Odyssey. To this point, it's been called a prototype, which is Odyssey code for, you know, we'll be selling this to regular golfers soon, but not quite yet. Uh, that putter is the new Odyssey 2-ball 10, and it is now available. So in just a few weeks on tour... It's already Odyssey's most played model. Tour pros are loving how square it sets up, how low the profile is. Uh, And if you haven't seen it, just imagine last year's Odyssey 10 putter with a little bit sleeker, um, but a, a two ball alignment on top of it. And it also doesn't just come in the two ball alignment option. There's an option with a smaller, thinner sight line, or you can do the whole bells and whistles, full alignment technology and get triple track on the new odyssey 10 putter all available with the odyssey stroke lab shaft, which is lighter, stiffer, and more stable this year promotes better tempo and consistency in your stroke. So take a look at the new odyssey 10 putters at OdysseyGolf.com. Let's get to Justin. So, all right. So where do we find you today?
1: Got done with an early early workout at uh, TBC Summerlin grabbed some quick Starbucks and I'm in the uh, Summerlin parking lot. What,
0: what is we're gonna we got a lot to unpack here a lot of what you've uh, gone through in the last couple years and, wh- and what's on the on the horizon but let's let's go there first. What, what's next for you? what what's you know you you're in the unenviable position of you know kind of making your schedule as you go taking any opportunities that you get along the way. Uh, what What's next Monday, qualifier wise, sponsor exemption wise, and tournament wise? What, what do you know what's on your schedule?
1: For this season and the end of, or the beginning of this season, I've gotten three sponsor invites. It started off with Dominican, Shriners, and then I top 10 of Shriners got into Bermuda, then I just played at Farms Insurance. So I've gathered. I think it's around 145 FedEx Cup points, and we need another 145 more for temporary status. Um, so, fortunately, I've been given the opportunity to uh, play in Puerto Rico, and then Punta Cana uh, the following weeks after. So, those are the two sure-end sponsor invites that I'm in, and yeah, I'm excited to make a run after it.
0: Are, are any of those events are, are those events full FedEx cup, uh, points events? And do you try have to try to balance, you know, where you're going to take your sponsor's exemption with where the most FedEx cup points are to be earned, right? Because that's, that's, that's your ticket to the tour is getting enough FedEx cup points. Do you have to kind of balance that at all?
1: You know, sponsor, uh, sponsor exemptions aren't given out so easily. So whatever we get, it's, uh, a, it's a gift. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, I mean, Puerto Rico and Dominican, I think they're off week events. I think WGC concessions is during the week of Puerto Rico. So I'm not exactly too sure if it's like a full point event, but I mean, I'm just excited to compete and just get out there. I mean, I I played in both of those events last year and it's kind of weird playing a Dominican in the same season because that was like one of the first events for 2020, 2021 season. But, you know, I, I enjoy going back to courses that I already played in. Um, there's a sense of familiarity that, that really is comfortable. Um, and you can just kind of go out there and just play instead of uh, trying to figure the course out in the beginning of the week.
0: What is the process for pursuing uh, sponsors exemptions? Is it something that you know, you're working way in advance, Uh, you know, do you get to, how do you get to know these tournament directors? How do you butter them up? Uh, You know, what, what is, you know, how that works? Is it personal? Is it your agent does that stuff? Uh, I'm wondering what your process is like.
1: Yeah. You know, it's kind of, kind of a little bit of both. I mean, I reach out to them through email, try to get, try to like make a personal connection. I really enjoy meeting all these tournament directors because each, each tournament, they're all unique and how they run things what what the board process is like uh, so some some events they know early on and whether or not they uh, are giving you the opportunity and some events you know the Friday or Saturday before um, but you know over the course of two and a half years from being out of college I've I've really uh, connected with some tournament directors and you know my agent he's he's been in the business for Peter Webb he's been in the business for a long time so he's definitely a great help in getting me connected with them and he's also getting connected with them on you know just throughout the season so uh yeah it's just all about like making personal connections and just getting to know these tournament directors
0: do you ever have to have the conversation to do is it ever come up of saying like hey you know I'd be willing to you know keep keep this tournament on my schedule once i do hopefully knock on wood have pj tour status in the future if you'd be willing to consider it i'm wondering i always wondered you know how that works with with tournaments you know the, obviously they have a lot of incentive to give out exemptions into to young players um but it doesn't always go that route and I always wondered if that that ever comes up in conversation
1: uh you know it never really comes up on a on such an upfront basis i think it might be implied (laughs) (laughs) but it just might be something where you know like i've been given the opportunity within like the early early stages of my career so uh i'm definitely grateful that they're giving it to me and you know like it's um it's something to think about down down the road on how you plan your schedule out um but i mean it's just yeah i mean. It's just uh, it's too soon to tell. I'm in I'm in the beginning stages, so I'm just you know just lucky to get what what I can get.
0: Well, I imagine that donating half of your earnings check back to the tournament uh, might potentially help you with it. When in, whenever you have a conversation like that with the tournament director, but I want you to tell us what you did with your farmer's check. What you were kind of what incentivized you to do that? You know, especially as somebody who is just starting out in their career and uh, hasn't you know amassed a massive amount of money playing the game like some of the other tour pros. What, what encouraged you to uh, to do what you did?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I was born and raised in California. Um, the only times I wasn't living there was we moved to Georgia for a couple of years uh, when I was in like the second and third grade. But besides that, I, I was born and raised, I mean, NorCal guy. I went to school at USC down in SoCal. Um, and during the 2020 season and during the whole pandemic, you know, I've gradually gone back to California, not to just, not to see my parents, but to see my sister who lives up in the, uh, like North Oakland kind of Berkeley area. And, you know, over the course of the year, it's been super, I mean, it's just, you can see it every, every, cause I I don't go back every week, but I go back like a few months at a time. And over the course of the year, it just... It was sad to see the neighborhood that my sister, like she lives in. It's a great neighborhood around Lake Merritt. And you know, these tents are constantly getting built up around this lake. Um, and when you walk around the lake, is you it's not people that you would think are living in tents. You know, it's I I saw like young like teens, um, people in their twenties, early thirties with kids. And like just talking about it right now, I get little shaken up just because of how sad it is because it doesn't take much for uh for something bad to happen where you some huge traumatic thing happens and you just kind of get thrown into a bad uh bad path and then to add on the pandemic hits and you know all these businesses are closed where you can't work and some of them are you know like oh like most of my friends like they're they're working at you know like as waiters and waitresses and they all like reached out to me when when i donated this check so i know like everyone's hurting so during the farmer's insurance you know like i went back to san diego and uh me and my caddy we were like going around sunday trying to find some food we couldn't find anything and We're looking at each other and we're like man this is like really really sad like everything's closed um and during the course of the week i reached out to peter webb my agent and i was like hey man like what can we do to give back and then uh i met marty the tournament director on Tuesday. And, you know, we just started talking and over the course of the week we decided to give back to century uh, century club. You know, they give back to local military uh, young kids um, that are in school and, you know, just back to the community. And that just felt like the right thing to do over uh, over the course of the tournament.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. And I think, uh, yeah, it just, it really, it really caught my attention just with, you know, your you being a younger guy out on tour, really just fighting for fighting for status, and that that had registered on your radar is uh, is is seriously impressive. And I, I'm wondering if you can kind of take people. I know the last few years have been quite a journey. And for those that aren't familiar, eight wins at USC, two time All American, and and I have a, a overarching question here to to get things started. Is obviously you want to succeed in college, and you just. Asking it this way, does, it put, does a lot of college success put unreasonable or different or difficult expectations on a, a young professional golfer? Do you feel that pressure when you're coming out of school?
1: It wasn't really – I think it's, it was more the expectation that I had on myself. I mean, especially leaving college and, and getting the ranking that I had, um, there was a certain level of expectation that you wish to um, succeed once you turn pro. And obviously, like it's not it was it didn't go as I planned. You know, I hurt my wrist in the beginning uh, of the first few starts that I had, so it was kind of a little recovery stage. Um, but I mean, no, not not really. I think I think once you turn pro, it's it's kind of like you start your uh, you start your career and you start working for uh for what you what well, you get what you work for. You have to put in the work, and I don't know. I, I think it's it's just. It's been a lot of fun. I like. It's hard for me to answer that question because there are certain expectations that you have as an individual player, um, and what you do in college it sets a certain tone. And I think in college, like winning, was the biggest lesson that I could learn um, within the four years I had at USC, um, and just that mentality of being able to win and knowing how to win and close off a tournament. Um, that resonates when you turn professional and that's something you're, you're constantly trying to get back after and being back in the winter circle and, and being up there in the top, uh, after 70, after 72 holes.
0: Well, that does answer the question, I think. And, you know, I, I, I want to go into your wrist struggles and kind of help set the scene for, you know, for a professional golfer. I think a lot of, you know, golf fans can like hear like, Oh, he's dealing with injury, blah, blah, blah. But man, man, he's, you know, these results really aren't, aren't like, you know, looking very good right now but I want to understand how like a wrist injury can permeate its way into all aspects of the game. And I know, I know you probably don't want to blame, you know, a, a, your, your professionals, you know, blame too much on an injury, but at the same time, it's impossible to separate out, you know, how, what kind of an effect that has. So how bad was the injury? What are we working with? And, you know, what, what is the current status of that uh, your wrist?
1: Yeah. uh, So, you know, during that phase of me turning pro, we—I we, was playing so much golf. <laughs> I went from college regionals to nationals, which is a marathon of golf. Flew a red eye straight to Memorial, played a Memorial, and it's the one of the longest roughs that I played in like the whole season because college rough isn't that long. Uh, you know, I just hacked it out there, and then I went to U.S. Open qualifier in California, and then you know I was just moving from such different conditions so I was I was trying to hit like so many golf balls which was in hindsight a huge mistake um trying to get my numbers down in each you know like sea level to to certain you know I think we were playing like 90 to 100 degrees in Arkansas and you know fifth like 60 degrees at Memorial so it was such a huge change in temperature and um I was just hitting way too many balls trying to get ready for each event so then once that little stretch got over i went to travelers and before travelers i was starting to get some uh some pain on my left wrist um and i went into the pt truck that they had in each uh, tournament and the guy was like hey like like he's kind of trying to like feel it out and he was like yeah it looks like a little tendonitis and you know i was like okay whatever like like i'll just play through it but what it affects during the week is that during your prep week from Monday through Wednesday, I mean, I wasn't able to hit more than half a bucket to warm up. And when I had to play in these pro-ams as a sponsor invite, which I was glad to do, but it also kind of hurt to play (laughs) 18 holes at the time. Like just the prep work, it was kind of sad because I just couldn't do what I felt comfortable doing. And when the tournament starts, um, the rough is long. And, you know, I can't hack at it uh, the way I normally could. Um, and I kind of have to play defensively. And even when I do hit the fairway, it's not my normal swing. Um, my body, your body has a way of reacting to certain injuries and certain pains and trying to compensate for it. So it just didn't feel comfortable. Um, so each week I was missing the cut by a shot or two. Um, and it was, it was just me just grinding it out, like literally just, you know, doing the best I can, grinding it out, but it was just always a shot or two. So once that season was over, I just knew like in my head, I was like, I I just I just need to get healthy. I need to work just on the right things and I'm there. Um and I just had that belief in my head throughout the past year and a half, just put in the work, you know, moved moved out to Vegas and just focused on golf. And it's been such a fun and rewarding time just because I know I've put in the work. I know I had that belief that I could start competing and to see results over the past few events. It's been so much fun.
0: Is it, is it left wrist and is it ulnar side by chance?
1: Uh, it was. Yep. Yep. I've but right the now same it's completely exact all one.
0: Me. Yeah. Oh, do it, you really? <laughs> it, yeah. It like, it's hard to, I don't know if it was like this for you, but it, it actually affected me on like shorter clubs a ton, like putting just the more I had to angle my wrist it was, I, I, have played rounds where I had to putt one handed because it hurt so bad. And it just like, it just permeates through, through everything. And I wonder, uh, I wonder for me, if it kind of, you know, caused me to get into some bad habits with my swing, which like I later had a pretty bad slump because of it. And I, and that's, I've heard you talk some about, you know, what some things you've had to work on and some swing changes you've had to make. Did you have to kind of work around this injury, you know, one while it was hurt. And then, you know, now that it's been healthy, is your swing different now for any reason?
1: It actually is. Yeah. So I went to go see my coach, Bill Johnson. He's, he lives up in NorCal and I told him I was dealing with this injury and he, you know, it's funny, like Bill, he, uh, he made me switch a certain thing. It was, it was a very simple move. It was kind of putting this, uh, this glove under my left wrist. And just by doing that and working on that for, for quite a while, it, it really changed the way my swing worked. And then, uh,
0: you know, he so kind of lets me be. under your left wrist.
1: Oh, sorry. My left armpit armpit. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just that, just that feeling over time, I've developed a, a new swing. That's a lot easier on my wrist. I'm rotating out more, turning my shoulders, finishing my shoulders at the finish instead of kind of getting stuck and releasing the wrist and over time it just kind of got into such a comfortable position that it's uh just second nature now and and instead of you know like i don't really have any swing thoughts it's just kind of seeing the target and feeling it and i think that's when everyone plays their best golf when there's just no swing time you just have full control of what the ball's doing and you can feel it for with either swing and just you know adapt instead of you know thinking about mechanics and and right now I'm at that stage and it's just, uh, it's just fun to just keep playing. Like practice, like hitting balls is kind of boring now, just because just I want to go out there and make some birdies.
0: That is exactly what I was getting ready to ask about next, which is just the balance of swing work, swing thoughts, and competing. And I think you just said it right there. Like nobody plays, and exaggerating a little bit, nobody plays great their best golf when they're fully thinking about their golf swing while they're playing, right? Yet, At the same time, when you have mechanical things that you need to work on, how do you find that balance between like, hey, I need to like, you know, I'm doing these drills and everything off the course. It's going to help me when I get to the course. But how do you stop thinking golf swing on the golf course? Do you ever, is there a specific time where that happens or is it just something that kind of evolves naturally?
1: I actually think it resonates from how you practice on the range. If you spend a couple hours just focusing on your swing, there's no shot. You go out on the range or out on the golf course and you're not thinking about your swing. Fortunately, the way I've practiced the past almost six years now, because we, we started this in college and I was I was lucky enough to uh, have Coach Zambri at USC as my coach, who who kind of created this practice format um, is hitting shots, like hitting numbers with TrackMan. I mean, we did the whole football field where I'm hitting a target and the target's him. (laughs) He's standing out in the football field and we're hitting it towards him and he paces it off. Um, So I'm still lucky. I keep in touch with him and I've got a track man now. So like when I practice, almost every shot is accounted for on the range. So instead of thinking about mechanics, you're thinking about just executing the shot. So if we're doing like a, a, like a high random, if the number's 161, like, that's what I need to focus on just hitting the shot at a certain target. You know, it's, it's like this thing where like basketball players, like, like LeBron and Kobe, they always kind of, they're like huge idols of mine, Kobe, especially like, you want to practice the way you play. It's hard to just turn it on for a tournament. Rather, if you're just kind of always on, like especially when you practice and, and you know, every shot, it's, uh, it's the same shot, same routine, how you would execute on a golf course. That means, You're always on. Um, and I think that helps not get into the you know, the bad routine of just constantly working on your swing, messing with different different uh different positions. Instead you're just hitting a shot, feeling like having full ball control and just, you know, it's so much more fun. (laughs) You're just hitting a number and you know exactly uh Exactly what you're
0: doing. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Whoop. You've heard us talk a lot about Whoop. You can go to whoop.com uh, and use promo code No Up for 15% off all of their offerings. Here, I've been using this a lot lately as I'm trying to train for a tournament I'm playing in this pa- this upcoming week. You know, trying to balance my alcohol intake. You know how well I'm sleeping, how my, how well my body's recovering, making sure I'm peaking. For something that's, it's a great tool to use. If you have something you want to peak physically for, it has great programs to help you train to do that. People that have been are in the groups. You can see, you can get in these groups and you can see other people's data. People who uh, are in the same groups as I keep coming up to me in the street, being like, "Sir, I'm just so crazy jealous of your recovery times. It's been so impressive. How do you do it?" And I I tell them, it's just a, it's a skill that you know you're going to learn over time. It's something that uh you know whoop has helped me a lot with they have a great podcast that kind of talks about the benefits of, of their of their fitness wearable and that we're really just kind of scratching the surface of of uh what it can do for you both physically mentally better sleep routine i i could go on and on and on and we have in many many different occasions uh raving about the product. So go to whoop.com, uh, use promo code, no laying up all one word for 15% off your purchase there, which could save you hundreds of dollars there. And again, we we love this thing and you're going to see it in some upcoming content that I think is going to be quite interesting. So without any further delay, let's get back to Justin. So I have this, this quote here for the, from you for, it was from golf digest. And I, I don't know when the second half of last year that they're referring to in the quote, I think that means the second half of 2019, but you said, the second half of last year, I spent a lot of downtime in my hotel room, just me and my phone, and I was just scrolling and scrolling. It was toxic. You start looking at 10,000 golf videos, it's going to creep into your swing. So it sounds like you. Are, this is part of your learning process of that whatever you were doing there in the second half of whatever year that was, it was having an effect on how you practiced and on in your golf swing.
1: Yeah, just because like, especially when you're not going through, like, especially when you're not playing good golf and you're kind of like trying to find and seek something that might work. I, like I said, like going through Instagram and Facebook and looking at so many golf videos throughout the day, like you're going to, your, your mind will try to gravitate towards something that might work and something that might key, like might click for you. Um, but at the end of the day all all it's doing is just making you change something new each day and you're never going to develop the habit the the anchor that your swing needs for you to just look at a shot and just hit it because you're always going to have something else in your head where you're like oh like i saw that on on video <laughs> like you know like that move looks pretty sick but you know you just have to build your own anchor you just have to develop your own swing and And, uh, you know, just own up to it. Like it's, uh, it's, it's something that's going to be what you rely on, um, in those pressure moments.
0: And I feel like when I, not to insert too much of what, what I've been going through here, but it's like, all right. So you look at something on film and you say, wow, I'm aimed too far left. So the next day you are coming back and you're like, all right, I'm closing my shoulders a little bit, closing my stance a little bit. All right, you know what? Now I've kind of got it good. And the next day you go to do it again and you're like, okay, let's let's close the stance and close the shoulder. And then you start creeping, and now you're aimed too far right. Like you almost, it's it's hard to to figure out when your body has adjusted to changes you're making and when you like need to tell your body you need to make changes. Is that does that make any sense, Mike? Am I am I on the right track with with some of that?
1: Yeah, uh, I
0: mean I'm. <laughs> So
1: me and my coach Bill—that's literally all we work on. Right. <laughs> I saw him on Friday <laughs> just a few days ago, and we only worked on alignment and setup because I have my anchor right now, where where it's my swing, and if just the feet's a little off or the shoulders a little off, it'll do something something weird to the ball, uh, something that you're not really expecting. Um, so all we did was fix up a few alignment issues, and you know we just keep it super simple. Um, uh, once that's figured out, you just, again, go back to what I practice. It's just going back to just hitting your numbers, hitting, um, working on hitting shots, um, going out on the golf course and just playing like how you would play in a tournament.
0: Well, this is going to be a, a kind of a multi-part question, but I want to know when you walk off the course for the last time as an amateur uh, and you're now going to become a professional golfer. Are you aware of, or do you know, like where you are weak compared to your tour pros, or where you need to improve specifically? What you need to get better at, or does it take maybe a little bit of time of playing PGA Tour golf courses and playing, uh, you know, side by side in competition with PGA Tour players to really show you what you need to be working on? I'm just kind of wondering if you knew what you needed to work on coming out, or if that's something that you know you were anything you were kind of hit with of like, oh man, this needs to get better if I want to compete out here.
1: Uh, yeah, that, uh, that's. For sure. Uh, just because the courses we play in college and the courses we play on tour, it's pretty different um, as far as distance wise, green speed and just the variability of, of what you're going to expect week to week. Instead of having three weeks to prepare for an event, sometimes you're going from week to week to week to a new new course. And it's something that I learned just from playing playing and all these exemptions, you kind of see how people prepare for each event you know like we're we're lucky to have all these stats and data on PJ Tour where you can kind of see how you rank in relative to other pros after the first season of getting exemptions like my obviously my iron sucked <laughs> i was i wasn't hitting greens like i just wasn't hitting the right shots but uh over the actually the pandemic honestly for me it was uh it was almost a blessing cuz i i mean no tournaments um, as far as like career wise it was a blessing just because like there was no tournaments and it was kind of a, a time to just kind of practice. Like it was just figure some stuff out, get to work. Yeah, like I mean after the first season, like, like we just looked at the stats and me and my coach Danbury, like we, we were like, shit, iron suck <laughs> Let's get to work. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's get back to doing the drills, let's get back to um, you know, what we were working in college and I think I looked the other day and uh, I actually texted I'm about it. I think I'm rate two in a uh, stress gain approach to the green. That was a huge jump from where I was a year and a half ago. You know, it's still we're constantly trying to get better. Um, and yeah, I just I think I've, I've kind of surpassed the level that I was in college and kind of playing at a new comfort level of where I s- feel like I should you know, expect to be at approach, approach to the green and you know, my ball striking. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple things I still need to work on, but you know, it's slowly but surely.
0: Yeah, that that's interesting you say that about, you know, the the you know, the forced forced stop in golf, you know, all other things, you know, put aside there. The forced stop in golf was being good for you because of, you know, we've talked a little bit about sponsors exemptions that you're trying to get and, and whatnot, but you're also chasing Monday qualifiers. Like it is just a constant pursuit for you and like nothing it, it, I'm comparing that to a tour pro that has full exemptions and can make out their schedule versus like you have to go out and play near perfect golf on Mondays just for a chance at a tournament and you don't know, you know, if you're going to do that. Sounds like you played some great golf in Monday qualifiers and it just like (laughs) did not. Selling the Monday
1: queues have been killing me, man. (laughs) I know.
0: I know. But like you got to tell us about that. You got to tell us that story of how that's gone. It's, you know, like
1: oh my gosh these monday cues <laughs> are brutal like gosh oh man i've been I've, I've been playing and like as soon as the pandemic is over i started doing the the monday cues and you know my first event i think it was the corn ferry in utah i shot seven under and we did like a six hole playoff and it got dark and i i remember i just you know couldn't even see the green it got bumpy lost on that final hole i was like okay darn it you know, I had a couple in San Antonio where, where my caddy actually lives and, at Briggs Ranch, and I shot eight under the first week. And they're both at the same course and for a Corn Fairy event in uh, San Antonio. So I shot eight under, missed it by one, come back the next week at the same course, shot seven under, and then missed it by one. And it's just, it's, it's been that way for almost every corn ferry or like every Monday queue where I'm just like a shot away. And it's just brutal, man. It's I mean, you're playing against so many guys for one day for three or four spots and, you know, you just kind of have to get hot. Um, but I you mean, did get that hot.
0: Is, that's the thing, I did get
1: hot, but just not hot enough. <laughs> I know. So it's just, you know what? The thing is, out of all these Monday queues, like you definitely learn like there's some, there's a learning experience that've I've gathered away from just all these Monday queues and it's really just what it takes to show up for one day, really playing really like knowing how to just kind of like like that whole thing about turning it on it's like no no, you just can't turn it on for one tournament. like you have to be playing good golf and good, to, uh, good rounds, like, in your practice to, you know, make it almost effortless when you play these Monday queues and just kind of go out there and, you know, like, it's, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise to you that you shot, you know, eight under, seven under, six It's just – it's something that you develop over the course of your practice and these Monday queues, you know, it's just – it just taught me, like, over one day, like, you know, a tournament, Thursday, Friday – it's a, uh, it's a cut after Friday. You just, it kind of teaches you, you know, just to kind of always be on and just, you know,
0: just grind, just get after it.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just, you just kind of have to play.
0: It it always amazes me though, the length that that pros will go to to get to these Monday qualifiers. Like people will fly to Ecuador for a Monday for a PGA tour Latino America event. Like you will do whatever you can to get in events and, just with even knowing how crazy the odds are against you, even if you're going to go play your best golf, you still might not get in. Like that's just, and, and Monday, uh, you know, Monday, uh, I forget that a case of the golf, uh, on Twitter does a, does a great job following all that stuff. But like, I almost can't read it anymore because I just get so frustrated and I don't even have to go on this pursuit.
1: Yeah. Imagine my position. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh man. It's, uh, just played in them. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's fun, but it's tough, man. Like, I was in my, you're kind of Monday. Yeah, I'm learning. But, like, you're going all the way to Mexico just to play in a one day event. And it's just like, God, the travel for one day event, you're just like, man, this is, <laughs> it's definitely tough.
0: And, you know, it's a, I still think it's a super underrated aspect of tour life, in my opinion, is just tour players' ability to pick it up and, and move their whole operation to a new location, new course, new climate you know, new hotel and and just like pick it up and play world-class golf week, week after weekend and week out. And it just, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're on a different pursuit there. You're chasing the opportunities there, but you know, I'm wondering if you can share what, what any aspect of tour life that, that aspect of tour life has been like so far. It's, I imagine it's quite different than college. I know of course you're playing different courses and traveling and whatnot, but It's more constant as a pro and it's more and much more demanding. And I'm wondering if, uh, if you have, if, if any of that has surprised you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in college, like you still have to have schoolwork, (laughs) you know, you're still playing golf, working out, but you have schoolwork. But now when you turn professional golf is your career, like it's something that you kind of focus on 24 seven and trying to find ways to get better. You plan your whole days out. You plan your schedule out, all revolving around golf. Um, and it took me a little bit of time to really realize that you have a lot of time out in sunlight, um, but you also have to like create time to, you know, get away from golf. And I think like over the course of these like Monday qualifiers and traveling so much you find a certain pattern in, in, in what makes you play your best golf. And it might be like like during that Saturday or Sunday after a practice round, like instead of playing 18 holes and just going straight to the hotel room, like you just kind of need a little break from 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 like focusing on this like one huge event that'll like get you into a tournament. And instead like, you know, go for a walk or uh, go, you know, just... Go to a local, like, little, like, downtown area. Like, go by the beach. Like, I love walking and we're running, like, down alongside the beach. So, I've definitely, like, found these patterns that work for me leading up to an event and just kind of getting away from golf, getting away from your phone, getting away from Netflix, um, and just, you know, training and, and kind of getting out of the hotel room. Um, and that's something you learn once you turn pro and just finding what works for you.
0: So I've got, and you're gonna help me fill in this list here. I've got Peru, Brazil, Argentina, Oman. You mentioned Mexico. Where where's pro golf taking you, and what, what what's that been like? You know, all the foreign travel. You know, seeking seeking. Uh, you know, playing PJ Tour Latino America. You played in a year uh, European Tour event. What uh, what's been the highlight of that, or what are some uh, some some fun stories you may have from any of those places?
1: Yeah, I mean, you named it. That was uh, that was like almost like that was all within like a few month period of uh playing in these like sponsor invites then you know there's this playoff so there's nothing else to play in so my agent was like hey like let's uh, let's get some status like let's get some status so i went down to latin america played in peru like you said peru um argentina gosh like you know like going down to latin america that was such a cool experience it kind of opens your mind into like a new perspective on how lucky we have it in the states land america there's so many like working class people just people you know like they're like it's it's such a different different community where people there's there's a lot of people like when i was in peru like the traffic there was insane like people are biking right alongside your your car (laughs) and it's you know you're kind of like looking at this at a at at the first time because i've never been down there and it's just you know, you come back to the stage and like, man, like we really have it lucky. We, you know, we have different rights, we have different privileges. And that's just a perspective that I was lucky to see. And even going to like Oman and meeting, i um, like, I think my caddy, uh, he, he he's usually the local caddy that caddies out there. And, you know, I MC'd out there, but, you know, he, he showed me around, we got to play at a local golf course. Um, and I got to meet some of his friends and, They all, like, these these people are from literally everywhere. Like, we had the most diverse dinner I I think I've ever had. It was an Australian who was my caddy, whose friend was, like, this guy from Texas. His wife was Chinese. And there was another guy from, I think, like, Brazil. Like, it was so cool. And we're all just playing golf. And, and, you know, it just kind of shows you, like, the beauty of the sport where, like, all these different people, like, just came together for the love of the sport and yeah like traveling to all these places it's it's definitely eye-opening and and it's just so much fun like you're just you're like looking at the culture the different foods you know like how people live and, and at the end of the day you kind of like just realize like we're all just kind of like we're all the same like we're all we're just all like little monkeys you know just <laughs> just try to just try to go along life we all need community um I, I found the importance of of really keeping a close connection to your friends and keeping in touch. and we've got you know these phones that make it super easy to stay connected um out of all these travel, like you just you just you know you gotta stay grounded. you gotta stay stay true to your roots. Fortunately for me, I've got great friends who who uh, I stay connected to on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, it, it's amazing how, you know, you're, you're experiencing this at a lot younger age in life than I did, but how you'll never be the same after traveling, extended travel internationally. Like you just, it's impossible to. Like you have a whole different perspective on how people in different different parts of the world do things. And I could tell from how you described that how much that has already resonated with you. And it's, it's you know, obviously the world is not at a place where that's possible. But uh, any chance I get to encourage people to just like go somewhere where you might be, Even a little bit uncomfortable. It's one of the great things you can do with your life is to get out and see the world and get that perspective. And I think that's that's almost an not an untold story in golf, but kind of something that doesn't get emphasized enough with just just all the things you see on the PGA Tour Latino America. Like you almost you have to work kind of hard to get some of the stories out of you know. I think Keith Mitchell told us one about some, someone waking him up uh, in Panama, and if he hadn't woke up, he would have missed his tea time, and he would have never got his card, and all the, all the crazy th- like walks of you know the, the place the game takes you. Uh, and it's really cool to see like, your perspective on that already at a young age.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I remember the first time I went to Peru, I
1: got, into, uh, I got into a taxi, and it was in the middle of the night, and I took my phone out. like I was in the passenger seat. And he looks at me and he's like, put your phone away. I'm like, what? I'm like, put my phone away. He's like, no, 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 no. Put your phone away. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And then I realized, like, if I had my phone out in the middle of the night and we were kind of driving through this neighborhood and he was like, if someone sees you with a phone, like, there's no hesitation where you're going to just kind of be at gunpoint and they're going to try to steal your stuff because they know you're a visitor. They know you're like, you know, you're just visiting and you got, you know, you're, you probably american like i was like oh my gosh like you know like this is this is you kind of have to be alert you know stuff like that where you're just like oh no like we're not in america (laughs) this this is a little different um it's these stories where we're like latin america like it was it was so cool because you go from peru to like kind of the middle of nowhere like rio undo in argentina where we stayed at this uh this like casino where it's like a couple couple miles away And then like the next week you're in Patagonia and you're like, oh my God, like, like, like Patagonia was one of those places that I didn't realize was on my bucket list. Like you get there and you're like, oh, this is cool. (laughs) You know, you're like, oh, like this is definitely wasn't on my bucket list. But now that I came here, you're like, oh, it for sure was. (laughs) But yeah, it's not all, So it's not all paper tour life.
0: Yeah, it's not all. It's not all. Uh, you know, private jets and all that stuff. You know, there's a, there's no, a lot of other...
1: A, uh, yeah. Other it's boxes. just. It's just kind of part. Of, part of the culture. It's part of. Part of life and and traveling to all these places. Um, it's kind of funny. I think you've interviewed Joseph Bramlett. Yeah. Um. Who's who's like a big brother of mine. You know, I'm. I'm really like his dad is like my second dad. Like he's helped me through my junior golf and college and pro career. But Joe, like he, he, he kind of he said it. Couple weeks ago, like we're playing in front, like with his coach a match, and we have super intense matches. He's kind of like my practice buddy, and he's like, he's like, man, like, like I I think like he made this putt to like tie me or whatever, and he's like, man, it's tough to get. And he was telling his coach, like, it's tough to get under Justin's skin. He's just so high on life, (laughs) and I like I heard that, and I was like, yeah, pretty much. Like nothing really gets to me because of. You know, like I just kind of see life like in a different perspective, and, and like I just love to compete. I love like how everything is just, you know, revolved around golf. Like, like it's when you put your mind in like a different perspective and how like one shot doesn't matter. It's just you know you're you're kind of enjoying everything that's thrown out you. And Joe, when he said that, it was just it was kind of funny because like man, I can't get it under his
0: skin. <laughs> see, that that is that's interesting, and that's an aspirational vibe to to have that. But I, I, I would love to say I have that when I'm on the golf course, and that's probably where I play my best golf. But it, you can't fake that. You can't like cheat that. You know, like, do you have a secret towards having that kind of perspective on life? Because you know, when things aren't going great for me, and for a lot of people I see that I play with, like, it is super hard to like fake that smile and fake that laugh and and say, hey, everything's okay.
1: Yeah, I I think it comes from like, not, not really, uh, like for me, what doesn't dictate like what makes me happy or like on the golf course, what makes me happy. It's not the results of like playing well, it's more the process of like coming out here, practicing, working. Like I really enjoy like when I come back home and I get to go to the gym I wake up early. I'm a morning person. So I wake up early, go to the golf course and just having the conversation, like every little bit of like where this career has taken me. And, you know, just like from meeting the cart guys, having conversations with the guys in the shop, being able to play and practice with other professionals who live out here. um, Like, I just really enjoy like getting to work and getting better and getting to have the privilege just to compete, like, you know, in a sport that I love and something that I've, uh, I've dedicated my life to it's, it's just that perspective being like, man, this is fun. Like, this is just something that, you know, like I'm lucky to be able to do as a job, as a career. And that's just always in my head. where like, this is just fun. Like, this is what we worked for when we were in, when we were kids, like, I mean, good or bad, like golf comes in state, like waves, like you can't always play good golf. You can't always, you're not always going to play bad golf. You're like you're, you're going to figure it out, um, and just having that insight of like you're going to figure it out helps you like, go through the good and the bad.
0: Amen to that. And uh, I, you may have blown my cover on who my source is on a couple of things that I was going to needle you about. Uh, mentioned somebody that you have mentioned so far, but I've heard uh, you you have spent you spent a decent amount of time. You've, you've become, I guess, a video game nerd since turning pro. And you spend a decent amount of time uh, on YouTube sc- scouting out Call of Duty moves. Is that is that accurate? Wait, who told you this? <laughs> I think was you can piece Joe? it together. Oh, yeah. Was that Joe? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. Over the you know over the past offseason, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've gotten into uh, Call of Duty Warzone, and you know it kind of started out as like like i just you know when we when i play i only play with my friends so we we get on we all we all say hey you getting on like squat up (laughs) so it's just me and my friends and that's like the time where we kind of connect like while we're gaming we we're on we're we've got our mics on and you know we have these like long conversations we update each other on what we're doing and you know like it's just i only play with them and you know it's like our time to like kind of debrief at the end of the day like how was your day like what's going on like um and then like after that like the competitiveness in me kind of took over where i just hate dying to these 13 year olds and 12 year olds on the other side of the mic you know (laughs) just just beating me and i was like gosh like this sucks so i started watching these like streamers and just trying to get better and uh yeah, it's kind of taking a path on its own where I've I've kind of just took over and just got a little too competitive where I just wanted to get better and now I'm I'm like playing with these guys who who uh, stream and you know like I'm keeping up and uh, I'm learning all these moves and kind of got a little too into it.
0: <laughs> I love I love how much you lit up with that question. He also gave me he said there's a rumor out there potentially. That even when you were tearing it up in college, that you couldn't—you were not the best—the uh, the best player in your family.
1: Uh, what? <laughs> well, Z referring to my sister.
0: Yes, he says you could not beat your sister. Uh, the rumor is oh, that you couldn't man. beat your sister in college.
1: No chance. No okay. chance. I'm never admitting <laughs> to that.
0: <laughs> I had a feeling that might be the answer.
1: Yeah. Um, no. In, in college, maybe in the in the beginning stages when she was uh getting better when she was in college, but. You know, there was a certain time where even she admitted, like I just kind of took out, took off on my own. But yeah, I can't admit that I'm a little sibling. Like, <laughs> I, I got to beat, I got to beat her.
0: <laughs> a great player in her own right is what I was told. But uh, I, I, I have a random question, um, kind of in line with. You know, there's a a lot of discussion around distance in the game of golf today, and I was especially curious to get your perspective as somebody who just uh, you know graduated from the amateur game into the professional game. What is your perspective on let's just say potentially that we end up with a bifurcation situation with equipment where pros are playing different equipment you know a a criticism of it and one that I don't have a great answer to is you know where do you draw the line where do you start with dialed back equipment you know what would the transition be like for top college players into the professional game I'm wondering if you're kind of clued into that conversation at all one and two what 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 do you think it would be like what would the transition be like if you you know you're playing equipment you're playing today as an amateur but when you turn pro it might be you know a spin your ball it might be dialed back in some way do you have any kind of any thoughts on that
1: you know first of, of all like, like serious I, here <laughs> I, yeah yeah um you know like i grew up with, with bryson um and he's always i have so much respect for what he's dedicated to the game of golf you know he's like ever since we were junior golf like he was trying out so many new things where I was on the golf course, just just like, I mean, I was, I was playing with him in like NCGA agency events and he was coming out with some crazy things like putting one handed, you know, shaved irons. And my head was going crazy. Like a funny story. Like I remember, uh, like we were going, we were playing like this North and South match for California. And he was like reading this, this huge, huge book or like this, you know three hundred page like printed out paper, and we were like sitting around in the college or not in the hotel room and like the night before he 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 like mentioned the perfect like radius or something like circumference of where the ball like does a perfect three sixty and I went to bed with that number in my head, and uh like the next day, I had like seven perfect three sixty lip outs. <laughs> And just like stuff like that. So first, like, first of all, like Bryson, like what he's done to the game, he, it's, I admire so much. Like he, he knows that stroking off the tee is a huge advantage in, uh, in, sh- in shooting low scores and playing all these like major championships where they tip it out. But for me, I have a different build. Like I'm not the tallest guy. I don't have long lengthy arms like I can only get so much out of my body to where it'll sustain me for the course of a season. And so what I need to get better on is completely different from guys who are six to six feet, six, you know, like those guys have the ability to get the distance um, to make themselves better. But for me, I have to strategize it a little differently. And that comes from approach to the green, Um, being a great putter, Driving accuracy, um, short game. So, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of dealing. Like I, I understand it. Like I understand why so many players are are transitioning to hit it longer. But for me, like like I'm trying to be the best iron player because I know that my driving accu- uh, my driving distance is only going to peak at a certain level. I can hit it straight, but I know what's going to get lead me to a win on on tour and competing at the highest level is hitting great iron shots, being a great putter, short game. So you kind of have to realize and and kind of admit to yourself where you need to be the best at. Over the course of the pandemic and and what Bryson has done to the game, it's it's cool to see so many people trying to hit it farther but for me personally, it's, it's, I know it's not going to be my pursuit in trying to hit it 350 yards because I know what needs to get done for me to play at a top level, and it's getting better at certain different things. But, you know, I, I admire what he's doing. I admire what, what other, other professionals are pursuing. But just for me personally, it's not something that's uh, critical um and just hitting it longer I want to get I want to be healthy I don't want to have injuries I want to be able to play a full season you know without fatigue and that's that's my pursuit each player is going to be different we all have different body types you know we're all gonna focus on different things and and you know it's just uh golf that's what golf kind of brings like everyone's so different like I think the stat on tour or whatever like the shortest golfer is 5'4", the tallest golfer is like 6'5", whatever, like, there's, there's so much range in between there, and, you know, you just kind of have to figure out what works for you.
0: That is extremely, extremely interesting. So we're not going to hear you yelling 208 before you go hit hit a ball uh, <laughs> on the Yeah, you might. <laughs> <40
1: seconds. laughs> I've messed around with it, you know, just during practice, like, <laughs> <laughs> to me and Joe, like, yeah, like, Joe, like, Bramley, like, we, you know, we, we give each other so much shit, like, his coach came down last week and just saw us practice and play nine holes and where we're competing in nine holes and it's just constant shit talking. It's so much fun. <laughs> and he just he'd never really like experienced that dynamic between uh two people and we have a very special bond and and you know, like when I outdrive him, like I give I let him know I outdrive him. And it pisses him off so much. And when he outdrives me, he he knows it pisses me off, but like you know, like that's not what I'm really going after. Like I'm going after birdies, but you know, when something like that happens, it's it's just all fun. Like it's, <laughs> we just let each other know.
0: Well, Hey man, thanks for spending an hour with us. Really greatly appreciate your time and perspective. We'll have to have you back. And uh, I know that you're uh, going to definitely be picking up some fans after this one. We really appreciate your perspective and uh, best of luck. Can't wait to see what's next.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what's next also.
0: All right. Looking forward to it, man. Cheers.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me on